0: Welcome everyone to the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. podcast by Fantastic Geek, the official, unofficial voice of the Marvel Cinematic Community. My name is Matt and joining me as always is Pete. Hello, Pete. Hey, Matt. Hey, everybody. Tonight we are taking a look
1: at uh, several things, the first of which will be the uh, Marvel 75th anniversary. Special that ran in place of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. tonight. Then we'll be taking a look at the recently announced Marvel slate of films for, I don't know, the better part of the next five and a half years. And then we will be opening up uh, the mailbag, which has uh, swollen for some time here, Matt. (laughs) All right, time to catch you up on what went down 75 years of Marvel, Matt. It's amazing to think that these companies and these characters are all pretty much the same age.
0: It really, really is. And uh, one thing I didn't know was kind of the state of comics before the age of the superhero. And, of course, they briefly touched on that, that timely comics, as it was known before the, the Marvel era, um, had a lot of uh, animals, war comics, romance, um, which just looks so completely foreign to my eyes in terms of what you expect out of comics from a mainstream publisher nowadays or 10 years ago or 50 or, you know, indeed 75.
1: Well, I think when uh, Martin Goodman founded them, you know, 1939, we're heading into World War II and all that. This idea that in their first couple issues, they had a Human Torch character and they had the Submariner. These were completely different than, than what had come before. And we just look at the lineage from that time and how the various eras um, impacted themselves upon the comic art. And it is art. If you're listening to this, you clearly acknowledge that it is. And uh, obviously the ups and downs that it went through.
0: I have to say I give credit to the uh, credit to the special in that they noted that the whole landscape of comics was changed by Superman. They of course did not show a single image of Superman, <laughs> but at least acknowledged that that was the great paradigm shift to get us to to heroes and superheroes. Um, as Stan Lee said, the greatest super characters. Um, and then yeah, with that, all of a sudden the the comics landscape is populated with all these uh, fantastic people.
1: Yeah, and. I, I did think they were pretty upfront to, You know, Stan Lee tells you, and and we run into Stan Lee all the time at these uh, comic cons we've gone to through the years. Um, pretty upfront and telling you, you know, look, uh, Martin was my cousin in law. I got my, I made my bones there and and got in. You know, partnering with uh, Joe Simon, who was their first editor, and Jack Kirby, who sometimes, you know, it's it's a subject in the comic community, you know. The credit that he may or may not get, you know. Everybody um, pumps Stan Lee these days, but you know, to think that Kirby and and these other guys before were just as influential um is important. And it was nice to see them get some due.
0: Yeah, in fact, I believe it's just in the last week or two where the um, the sealed. Uh, uh, Court, or I guess, out-of-court settlement between the Kirby estate and Marvel, um, which people didn't exactly know the nature of it. It's 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 shaken down in the last week or two, where the Kirby comics that he helped create now uh, now receive his uh, co-created by uh, credit in, in terms of the you know the actual published comics. So it, it 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 was just nice to be able to tell this Marvel 75th anniversary special, acknowledging those people, and then indeed you know, for, for whatever legal wrangling went on behind the scenes. It's also being, uh, being acknowledged in the pages of, uh, of the comics that he helped breathe life into,
1: you know, there's the romanticism of the forties and the, the comic, the creation of comic culture and everything went on there, you know, Captain America punching Hitler out and played for great dramatic and, and even humorous effect in, uh, Captain America, um, the first Avenger, but I really liked Matt. Maybe the highlight of the special for me was the idea of the Frederick Worthen book in the fifties and comics and delinquency and the soundbite of the kid. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I read, I read a comic book and I threw up.
0: <laughs> well, and, and I think it's worth attempting to to restage that now because it was kind of some like, you know, slightly chubby brooklyn kid who clearly is like being you know like he's aware that he's on camera and it's like i i i looked at a comic book once or twice and i just true up each time i think there
1: might have it might have began with an f it was he threw up (laughs) but uh it was awesome and um you know, we the red scare and everything going on there and, and fear of creative types and and, and all that in the fifties, which again really fed into the art at that time, the snake eating its tail. And um, the idea that children reading would in some way contribute to delinquency as we look back in, in 2014 and, and talk about that is just so far-fetched. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I, and I mean I think it's not to turn this into a a larger issue but I think it's a yes. good uh, it's a good lesson that when you're when you're trying to to prevent the spread of media and when you're trying to you know label it as propaganda or label it as whatever you know rarely does that work the minute that you tell kids this will seduce you and this will ruin your brain well you know fine there was the there was you know Certainly, the, the the taste of comic books was changing the 1950s as the special. Mentioned, um, flip side, find the creation of the Comics Code Authority to kind of do the famous self-regulation. I mean, let's also study our history here. Oh, man, comics are out of hand. They're going to self-regulate. Go away, government. And now it comes to video games in the 1980s, 1990s. They're going to self-regulate. It's all. It's the same cycle of somebody's going to be out front, whether it's Frederick Wortham or, you know, Senator Al Gore or whoever else saying, oh, man, it's these it's these rap musics or it's these video games or it's these comic books. And it's it. it these things never go away and they're never as damaging uh, as as claimed to be.
1: You know, you you go from the Red Scare, the the delinquency angle and then the very real idea that, you know, uh, Stanley Lieber Uh, Stan Lee. There were secret identities, Matt. Again, this was life imitating the art in the 50s. They didn't even want to introduce themselves. The idea that a Stan Lee today would not introduce himself as Stan Lee, the comic uh, writer, uh, illustrator, etc. is bizarre to think about.
0: It has got to be so uh, liberating as a writer. Uh, and I use the word writer, by the way, to include, you know, the artists that that also have input on the on the um, telling of a story, which is the Marvel method, by the way, is where it's something Stanley um, pioneered where he'd come up with a general storyline as opposed to a script you know, the script would normally say, and on page three, there are six boxes and in box one. He would come up with a, a, a general outline, hand it over to the penciler, who would then kind of come up with thoughts and come up with a rough layout. Then the two of them would get together and talk again how to do this, how to do that. So, again, I use the word kind of author um, um, loosely. But it must be so wonderful for these authors to have essentially everything available to them you know because it is just for the for the cost of you know pencil and ink and and color you can you can dream up any of these things it's not oh the budget you know oh the this i mean you're having discussions about you know paper quality not should we spend eight eighty million dollars to get uh to get this actor or that actor so and, and you could just see it these these writers that were so proud to come on this special where They've just come up with fantastic stories over the years and and, um, stories that people really identify with.
1: Well, we'll get to the movie angle in a little bit, but, you know, we talk about the ups. We have to talk about the downswings. 1961, they are on the brink of being done.
0: Indeed, then kind of Marvel, you know, causes that paradigm shift by way of Stan Lee saying, well, if I'm going to leave, let me do what I do, what I always uh, hoped to do. Uh, first out of that is Fantastic Four. You know, a complex team that has infighting, that has powers that are not necessarily um, admirable or, um, in, in the case of of Thing, you know, controllable. Um, in that, I mean, I know he's in control of his own faculties, but it's not like he's going to then put his glasses on and go back to the Daily Planet, uh, you know, newsroom. He's he's a monster. He's a freak, and he can't escape that. It's kind of irreparable. Uh, followed by Hulk, Spider-Man, Thor, Ant-Man, Iron Man, Doctor Strange. I mean, it's just it's amazing how these just come pouring out uh, in such rapid succession Once the um, creative restraint has been has been released and these titles are starting to sell.
1: I love that Lee's wife, Joan, talked him back from the brink and she set him free creatively. You know, make the story you want to tell. And you know, before we know it, with the Fantastic Four, we've got the Frankenstein monster with some everyman appeal, and that's our thing. And, you know, the the Hulk very much in that same vein, a non-traditional hero, not an anti-hero, um, but different than we had seen before. And um, Insect Man, Fly Man, what were we going to call him? Oh, yeah, Spider-Man, you know? And this... It, The lineage and by the time we reach the Vietnam era where culture can become counterculture you know we've got an entire pantheon of these characters that came through in that really
0: third age if you will absolutely and I mean that reference is made at one point to how uh, Avengers and X-Men came out in the same month I mean can you can can you fathom (laughs) that just for a moment granted fine avengers a little bit of a i don't want to say foregone conclusion but i mean the thought that you already had one team in the fantastic four and then you have these other titles that are popular you know bring them together in some fashion but i mean still my goodness what a record to have those both come out in the same month um and then from there you know things are high flying high in the 60s you move to the 70s where culture is really starting to change and and Marvel is is trying to follow that change and reflect it in their books.
1: Well, I have very fond memories in the 70s of watching the Incredible Hulk on TV. And I think that signified to them and and yeah, they they made some pushes in terms of um, you know, feature films. There's the Captain America movie from the 70s that's just I can't believe I even just referenced it, (laughs) um, you know, but, but Hulk was, was clearly the, the gem that they had and, you know, the, the, the campy idea, Matt, I know you're a very big fan of Dazzler from the (laughs) seventies, um, you know, your, your t-shirt that you always wear when we, (laughs) we go to these, um these comic book conventions and even that, you know, a a comic book convention in the, in the seventies, you know, Star Trek conventions had, had risen up in the, you know, earlier part of the decade. And, and suddenly these are exploding and and people are seeing these books once regarded as potentially corruptible forces as investment opportunities.
0: Yeah. And that certainly is the shift that, that, that happens the the later into the eighties that you get and uh, particularly the early 1990s. And that's a point where, where I was heavy into reading comics and there's all these variant covers and there's all these, you know, there's well, the, the special lenticular cover in addition to the regular one. And it just created this, this, um, you know, I mean, just classic wall street balloon, you know, the classic wall street bubble that was growing, growing, growing where you're saying, Oh man, this is fantastic. You know, Amazing Spider-Man six forty two, it sold it sold two million copies, and we did four different covers. And then you go, Whoa, time out. It's each person buying four copies. You actually don't have the audience that you think because as soon as this <laughs> bubble bursts, people aren't reading this because they love it, or reading it because they identify with the character. They're buying one to read, they're buying one to bag, then they're buying the other three to keep as well because they think they're gonna sell it one day and nobody's fessing up to the fact that you're clearly in this financial bubble, then the bubble burst and risked taking uh, Marvel, which I believe at the time was independent. You know, at least DC had the backing of, um, you know, its corporate uh, parent to to weather that storm. But then you just have Marvel in trouble, Marvel on the brink. And and to a degree I was not aware of until they discussed it in this special.
1: Yeah, I mean, by the time we get into the latter half of the 20th century and you know, they're really getting into some gritty dark places with characters like the Punisher and Wolverine, um, you know, that bubble, as you talk about it, Matt had kind of burst a little bit and, you know, they were going more for the core fans than, you know, somebody who's going to buy four copies of Punisher and, you know, uh, save them for posterity. Not really a um, a comic character that would wind up on somebody's wall necessarily with the Spider-Man.
0: Yeah, and of course that's at a time as we're getting into the into the late '90s, where I think there's there's beginning to be a new look at what could be done with special effects and with a big budget to do some of these movies, and obviously the movies being made were, were titles that um, had previously been licensed out. In fact, Pete, to take a quick tangent here, the lengthy, lengthy um, rights story, which I won't even begin to get into, but involving um, the James Bond book movie Thunderball and just the, the, the depths of lawsuits there going back to the 60s, at a certain point got wrapped up Columbia Pictures, did they or didn't they have some of the rights and uh, um, uh, United Artists, this, that, the other, and there ended up being a trade. United Artists is going to get all of James Bond. Spider-Man is <laughs> Spider-Man is going go to go completely to Columbia because there was this kind of weird rights thing there too. So, you know, you have a point where year, five, six years before the Spider-Man movie gets made, before X-Men kind of touches things off as the the modern... Quality dark real world uh, movies where Hollywood is already kind of starting to horse trade some of their some of these rights at a time too where Marvel is still continuing to be in in quite poor shape.
1: Yeah, and uh, throw in a whole bunch of other characters as players to be named later, and look at where we are. I mean there there were some misfires with some of those early movies. I mean there's that Fantastic Four movie. In there in the 90s, which the best thing about that is that it gets referenced in the fourth season of Arrested Development.
0: <laughs> well, and that kind of shows you the depths of where things were at. That movie yeah. was made where the, the top people knew it was never going to see the light of day. Yes. And if they didn't tell anybody, then it would satisfy making a movie. Then they could keep the rights. That's all that was, which is just insane that you would sit on these rights and do nothing with them just because, again, we're kind of back to this bubble here. Well, they might have value at one point as opposed to Marvel figuring out early to mid 2000s. Hey, we need people who love these properties to make the movies. Why not us?
1: Right. And as we're on the precipice of a second reboot of Fantastic Four still away from Marvel proper as a film series. Um, I think that's important to understand. I mean, you know, we talk about all the time and, you know, a little later in this podcast when we look at the upcoming Marvel slate, the way they're running things, they're in a position – they don't need Spider-Man. They don't need uh, the Fantastic Four. They don't need the X-Men with the way they have uh, laid things out. And Downey Jr. told you very early on in this special, Marvel chooses the right directors. They showcased the tremendous risk they took with Guardians of the Galaxy. Matt, we've been saying it for more than a calendar year. Don't believe us. Go back and listen to the earlier podcasts. The Guardians of the Galaxy stood an excellent chance of uh, being a sleeper and breaking through. It's the number one movie of the year to this point. Does that hold up? That remains to be seen, but even to lead it for as long as it has and the top two movies of this year in 2014, Captain America, The Winter Soldier being the other uh, Marvel movies. Come on. You, you would have thought that in the mid-1990s?
0: I mean, I mean, it's incredible growth. And, I mean, as we've said time and time again, we are not haters of DC Comics. We're not haters of the Warner Brothers DC movies. It's just you get the sense time and time again that Warner Brothers or Time Warner as a corporate entity looks at its comic holdings as as financial pieces that can be leveraged to maximize the profit of which they are capable. And Marvel says, you know what? we really love doctor strange and doctor strange has been around for so long there's some great stories that like no one out there knows the casual person many comics fans don't know diddly squat about doctor strange but we know there's great stories there we love these stories and we think we can put together you know an hour and 20 minutes or or, or 120 minutes or however you know 2 hours of really great story that people are going to dig and people are going to be amazed by but also relate to so it's just that difference of lo- you know love versus y- you know a thing that you have in your vault that you could make money with. It's like Warner Brothers is back there going, "This is worth money. It's going to be worth money one day, man." This, this, <laughs> this Green Lantern movie right that we intrinsically have because we're corporate partners, we can make money on that right now. As opposed to when is the right time to do you know to do a Captain Marvel movie? It's when it's when your audience is primed for a female character um, by Black Widow, by saying, all right, this boys' club is pretty cool. Let's, let's move the football here. Let's do something different. You know, It's only with that priming, I would argue. If the first Marvel movie was you know, Captain Marvel and still had the same quality, you know what? Unfair biases in the market or whatever would have rendered it less, um, less susceptible to profit than it will be when it comes out you know, in in, in the coming years.
1: The second most important moment of this, uh, you know, special for me was when they showed the old stock chart flip-flop between uh, DC and Marvel um, in the 80s. And I think in many respects, it's stayed there this entire time. I mean, you can talk about the resurgence of Superman through the first reboot with Brandon Routh and, and now the second one and, you know, the whole Death of Superman, you know, cycle in the 90s. And then, you know, obviously the very successful Dark Knight films. But what do you got past that? And that Marvel has just continued to expand on this pantheon of characters. And yeah, you know, there was the 90s where... Marvel itself as a corporate entity was on the brink of bankruptcy for the second time in 30 plus years. And, you know, that's the one thing I think that the special kind of glossed over, you know, is just chalked up to bad decisions and the idea that anybody in the office was potentially expendable. You know, somebody else can draw Spider-Man. Really the only qualm I had with the uh, with the special.
0: Yeah, I, the only the only qualm I would share is that he, here's how the special presented um, presented Marvel comic books being turned into movies. There's like, oh, there was the great Incredible Hulk TV show, and there was like some really like awful like low budget stuff. Then the special says the 2000s came, and then there's they cut to Alan Fine who says um, it says where it's the effect of. You know, we had licensed a lot of great characters, then cut to the next person who says, and we decided we needed to make the movies ourselves. And it's like, whoa, 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 timeout. Let's be fair. I know you don't want to puff up, you know, 20th Century Fox and their Marvel movies in this special, but let's be fair. You know, Brian Singer and X-Men, and um um the director of the Spider-Man movie, whose name has escaped me at the moment. I'm sure people are yelling at the at into their <laughs> headphones right now. Um, those are the guys, Sam Raimi, those are the guys who deserve as much credit as the, the Marvel films people in 2008, getting Iron Man and whatnot forward. You know, it's Sam Raimi and Brian Singer who helped light the way and say, this is how you do a comic book movie with little jokes. Like, what'd you expect? Yellow spandex. And you go, oh man, I was thinking about yellow spandex, but of course you can't do it. Like those are the people who deserve some modicum of credit in the fact that all these years later Marvel Films has this giant slate, and Marvel Comics are getting this recipro- reciprocal feeding from the from the movies um again, I get why they didn't put it there, you know, but i 'll tell you this, Pete, it made me feel all the better that you know Marvel is now um, owned by a corporate parent because. There could be a downturn, whatever it is. I, I don't know whether it's on the publishing end, the film end, you know, nothing stays high forever. And if there is a lull or if there is a whatever, you know, the broad shoulders of Mickey Mouse will be there to say, all right, we're going to get through these three or four or five bad years and then we'll, we'll, we'll come back even stronger. So it's like Marvel, you know, the Marvel 150th anniversary special is only 75 years away.
1: Yes, there you go. <laughs> A detailed look, Matt, at our list of upcoming movies in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. As you may or may not know, uh, last Tuesday was the Marvel event, and uh, basically unveiling in a live um, milieu everything we need to know about the Marvel cinematic universe until, uh, 2019.
0: <laughs> That's all just the end of the decade. Yes. And certainly there's been much, maybe not much press, but it's, it, it's it been noted in multiple places that, uh, when Warner brothers in DC announced their upcoming slate, it was in front of investors. When, uh, when Marvel did it, they literally invited fans. And I believe fans had better seats uh, for the fan portion, which was, you know, the whole, and we're going to do this, and we're going to do that. Um, th- I think they had, I think there were some fans at least that had better seats than the press. Fair is fair, there was a press only portion afterwards, but um, what a world of difference just in terms of how you present it. Um, th- to have a bunch of slides up there, okay, or it kind of, you know, breaks news in the Hollywood Reporter for the Warner Brothers stuff, oh, okay, that's good. To see tweets unfolding that afternoon on the East Coast, there's going to be this Captain Marvel. Yes, you go, well, what, Captain Marvel. What? What's what's going on? And then you have to be clicking more. And somebody's like, "It's Carol Danvers." Okay, I I need to go find out more. It just fed this beast in a really uh, in a really really remarkable way.
1: It did, but nobody had a better seat than I did. So first up, Captain America, Serpent Society,
0: <laughs> which uh, was a good. I, I don't know how long they went for that gag. I gather it was five or ten minutes at least, um, uh, until Pete, they finally renamed it as what?
1: Captain America Civil War, which was the worst kept secret of this event. And I think they knew that they had intentionally leaked it and they had a lot of fun with it.
0: They sure did. Now, Pete, what's going to be interesting about Captain America's Civil War is, at least, depending on how closely uh, it's related to the uh, 6 07, uh Marvel Comics uh, storyline that happened, is th- there is a slight political take on on it. I mean, essentially, you have uh, the superhero registration act, where you you kind of need to out yourself as a as a um, not exactly a weapon of mass destruction, but but as a a person of power you have captain america against that iron man for it and people choosing sides clearly a a bit of an analogy uh at least in the comic book end to the patriot act and things of that sort um i kind of well i wonder if this kind of semi-political tape uh take will help or hinder the film pete
1: I don't think it's going to hinder it at all. I would reference the political thriller that is Captain America Winter Soldier, um, which represented a completely different type of Marvel movie that we are used to at this point. Um, it's not going to mirror the um, the comic crossover in that You know, I know there was a lot of speculation. Oh, they're trying to make a deal with Sony and get Spider-Man back. And that'll be the whole crux of the whose side are you on? And, you know, Spider-Man reveals himself to be Peter Parker publicly. And, you know, there are no hidden identities in this Marvel Cinematic Universe. So that's not what it's going to be about. It's going to be about who reports to whom, who reports to the government, who reports essentially – To the Avengers or to their own uh, loyalties, what it is bringing in Black Panther, whose home country of uh, Wakanda is going to be part of Avengers Age of Ultron, um, you know, and and to sign uh, that actor to a five year deal or five years, excuse me, five film deal. okay, and he's going to be a major part of that. I think it's just another piece in the puzzle. And when you got Robert Downey Jr. to, you know, in effect, be playing the foil to, uh, Evans, Captain America in this film, you know, no wonder the, uh, the Batman V Superman movie has vacated the same date and pushed itself all the way back to, uh, March where it thinks the, uh, the summer movie season lie
0: you know i had not put two and two together i mean i knew of course that batman v superman had moved out of that spot but i mean for it to be replaced now by essentially captain america v iron man that's uh that's both a nice catch pete and a nice bit of uh, poetic justice there as for the the topic of that rumor of maybe sony will license spider-man back i honestly think Look, surely Marvel must have discussed that, even if it was just kind of you know, you know, kicking around the the, the thought bubble in the uh, in the boardroom. I have to think that Marvel Studios figures this: all these characters that are at other studios, the deals. I, you know, my understanding is the deals are as long as a movie gets made for you know w- within X amount of time, whether it's once five years, ten years, whatever. I believe it is,
1: it's three years is the universal. Arrangement. Oh, really?
0: yeah that's less than i would have thought but yeah but bottom line is this all it takes is for those studios to make a movie to keep the rights so i think from marvel's point of view they look at the box office for let's say this year which pending the outcome of uh, of hunger games which is i mean you know <laughs> nothing against the hunger games movies but not part of the the you know comic book movie debate um as of this moment without hunger games having having uh you know checked in marvel has the top two movies of the year so what incentive does marvel like how would captain america civil war or another uh comic book uh mcu movie how would that get better if marvel was paying sony x million dollars a year to have spider-man it it wouldn't would it be nice sure i think their attitude is let spider-man move movies wither on the vine yes um coincidentally marvel comics seems to be serious and it's not just some publicity stunt about canceling the fantastic four uh comic book series gee whiz probably the same thing they want the fantastic four movies to wither on the vine they know they obviously can't cancel spider-man as a, a as a publication but let, th- let those characters come back when they need to come back or if marvel needs to license them back in 10 or 15 years or five years i don't know if they have a series of misses and they need those characters back okay they'll pay for it for right now iron man is a bigger character at the movies than spider-man and captain america is a bigger and the guardians of the galaxy who were previously unknown literally this year were bigger at the box office than spider-man and x-men So Marvel doesn't need them right now. So why pay for them right now?
1: They don't need them. And you look at this slate of films and there's really no reason to believe unless they're just going to slap names on them and put out garbage to think that any of this is going to diminish what's going on. And meanwhile, you know, and again, I hate to make this a Marvel DC debate. But, you know, they've got their slate over there and it's the larger metaphor for what's going on in these movies. Um, You know, you got a far superior and a far inferior uh, slate.
0: And I think it's worth mentioning what I'm sure longtime listeners know. I mean, we don't have an anti-DC bias, nor do we have an anti, um, you know, non-Marvel films, Marvel movie bias. We just want quality. We just, you know, we want good entertainment. And that has not been given to us by, um, by at least the more recent Warner Brothers DC stuff like Superman. Uh, neither you nor I have high hopes for Batman v Superman. Uh, down the, the list, the hopes we go. that
1: I have, Matt, are a really entertaining Mystery Science 3000 uh, type of experience where, you know, whether it's, uh, you you got to take a drink of water every time a new superhero is uh, introduced in that movie <laughs> or whatever it is, you know, um, it, it's going to be a train wreck. And I really look forward to that because it's going to be an epic train wreck. And I think they know it. I think they're just so desperate to get caught up with these multi superhero tentpole movies which is a new thing you know i said it at the time when we podcasted it i stand by it. the avengers is the biggest comic book movie of all time and you know that dc doesn't have one and they can't get their act together you know there could have been a way where they could have kept christian bale and folded in that universe yep. and instead they got one movie going on over here. They got two two TV shows on this network. They got a prequel to a just finished movie series on this other network. They've got a Krypton series in development now. It is a shotgun of poo poo. And, you know, Marvel just has this I, I don't know how you could even objectively look at the two and not favor one over the other knowing anything about them
0: you know what i honestly think it is i think that the warner brother how about this at the the movies that are outside the mcu marvel films um uh, uh, uh you know section of things i honestly think that other studios with warner brothers being the worst offender here they're not looking at content it's like It's like a stock bubble, you know, it's the dot-com bubble or an oil bubble or anything else where they're just saying, so much money is being made, so we need to make more of it. Meanwhile, I honestly believe, you know, Marvel Films is staffed by people who love these characters and who know that Marvel Comics, as a comic book company is or was or will be whatever it is the the driver of all of this whereas i really feel like at warner brothers it's like oh dc is our corporate partner and you know time warner is the overall company so they demand content we need to make money what do we have in the bag hey let's make a superman movie let's do this let's do that the 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 fact that we are the fact that gotham is a prequel reboot to, and then, it, it's just it's just all a mess out there because they're snatching up these pieces and selling them off to the highest bidder, whereas Marvel, thank goodness, was bought by Disney that wants to vertically, vertically integrate, horizontally integrate, but Disney that learned this lesson um, from the mistakes of Michael Eisner that you can't kill the golden goose and continue to sell uh, golden goose stuffed animals, if you will, that the product <laughs> at the core needs to be Solid. And when Bob Iger took over, he found out that uh, Disney Animation had not made a profit in ten years. That's a problem. And I think that that has that is something that Disney has kept in mind with all of its acquisitions. Let the Marvel people do Marvel stuff, and then we'll make Halloween costumes. Let the let Disney Animation people make their stuff. Then we'll do you know Elsa and Anna signing stuff at the parks. But it can't be the other way around. It can't be give us stuff to make into masks. Marvel and Marvel no Marvel's part of that. Make the content first and Warner Brothers is like give us a thing so we can rent out sound stages and sell you, you know, rent you lamps from the the set dressing department.
1: It's why I feel really good about Disney's acquisition of Star Wars if they're going to allow the same type of creative freedom. You can say a lot of things about Marvel Matt that are not tremendously great to their actors. We we've cataloged that and that's gonna dovetail what we're gonna talk about in this uh this next movie announced for the slate.
0: Indeed. Next is Doctor Strange, uh where if you're not familiar with him, Dr. Steven Strange uh has, you know, magical powers and whatnot. This kind of delving into this protector of magical and mystical threats, Pete I mean, look, I think that we are both um, confident in what Marvel can do, but let me put it this way. Some of these Marvel movies make a billion dollars at the box office or have $180 million opening weekends in the U.S. Some do $70 million opening weekends and get $210 million at the U.S. box office. How is the magical Doctor Strange starring Benedict Cumberbatch, Cumberbatch How's that going to do domestic and international? I'm not asking for numbers, but like I'm sure we're confident of the quality. But how's how many butts are going to be put in seats for this movie?
1: Well, that's exactly what's being settled right now, because the Cumberbatch deal is still in negotiations. This is the hardest negotiation Marvel has faced with an actor to date. He is easily the most established star they are attempting to sign at the, you know, right now height of his, uh, his fame. So, you know, what it means internationally for them to get this actor is quite a bit for this rather arcane superhero, somebody who, you know, prior to being name checked in Captain America, the winter soldier, few people even had knowledge of, and we're building towards this, I hear the deal's going to get done, but it's really, really acrimonious at this stage to the point where, you know, they're circling back to some of their uh, earlier preferences, uh, Joaquin Phoenix, uh, Ewan McGregor, uh, just in case to check availability because now they've committed themselves to a date but um you know from what i understand it's going to get done and i think that benedict cumberbatch in this role is huge that's such a big part of selling this strange character
0: for one of the iron man films i believe it was when there was the press uh junket for it which my understanding is you know they'll like rent out a hotel suite and then okay la times at 9 a.m and the this at 9 30 and entertainment tonight at 10 a.m uh they didn't they ran out of food like you know the, the snack trays ran out to the point that press was going to another press junket down the hall to like fill their tummies that's the kind of um stringent budget that that marvel operates with yes they'll put their money you know to make the movie good but i think Kind of some of those niceties, or some of those. Ah, Benedict wants another eight hundred fifty thousand dollars. Whatever, it's the Sherlock. Um, they, They're yeah, over they...
1: points, from what I understand at this point. He's gotten into them for points, um, in a in a way that uh, Downey Jr. didn't come into until Avengers.
0: Now, Pete, for I I know what points are certainly, uh, yes. but can you explain to to the folks out there what's points? I just thought you get your money. <laughs>
1: Uh, also known as back end, this is a percentage of either a domestic or a worldwide gross. For instance, if he were to get one point, that would be 1%
0: of the gross. And if you think – here's an example of how points can work out really well. Uh, Bruce Willis for The Sixth cents, I believe had 10 points. So <laughs> when, when you plunked down your $10 bill – at you know your local cinema to go see The Sixth Sense $1 off the top got sent to Bruce Willis which is just stunning astonishing so points points matter for these big movies they do Pete for Doctor Strange and for some of the other movies we're going to be talking about where they're a bit more obscure I want to forestall any any complaints or people might say yeah but at some point you guys have said or will say you know oh Aquaman how kind of obscure, oh, this at the DC end. Again, the difference is, is there potential that Doctor Strange or Black Panther or Captain Marvel are going to fail simply because they don't have the the razzmatazz that that some of the other characters had built in, if only from, you know, the cartoon or the this or the that. Maybe, but it's that, it's that idea of heart. You know, there, there's heart being put into these movies by people that care for them, whereas... You know, is is an Aquaman movie or a a Gambit movie being made because the character has something interesting to say and interesting to contribute to the overall landscape or because it's a thing that if you do, you know, if you put in one hundred fifty million dollars, you expect to get four back.
1: Marvel has pushed all of its creative chips into the table with these entries that they're going to go to a Black Panther, that they're going to go to a Captain Marvel, um, that the Inhumans are down the road, signals no hesitation on their part that, you know what? People won't get this. Guardians of the Galaxy was regarded as a risk. And then you look at the loving way in which James Gunn handled it. And how could you not believe that was going to succeed and lo and behold you know three quarters of a billion dollars later here we are
0: well and that's a perfect segue to even if dr strange you know only does fair at the box office marvel has lined up after that guardians of the galaxy 2 interesting that there's no um kind of subtitle to it uh, maybe that's forthcoming and then after that thor ragnarok um in which uh loki is expected to be in the in the thor sequel of uh, the first time probably that we'll be seeing him since uh, thor the dark world so any thoughts there pete on uh, those back-to-back sequels i think
1: that it's a wonderful time to be envisioning this universe five years down the road where will they go next um, you know, you can look up these characters and you can get a fair idea of what's going to happen. We know that their comic universe has, you know, turned Spider Man over, has turned Thor over. Um, there are some different fates, I'm not going to go into uh, the spoiler realm there, that befall these characters. But it's just really exciting to look at what lies ahead and to see the different offerings that are in the pipeline.
0: Well, continuing on down the pipeline after that will be the uh the Black Panther movie, something that people I think were were certainly clamoring for, also an opportunity for uh for Marvel to uh you know increase the diversity in its slate. As you mentioned earlier, Pete Black Panther will have been introduced in um in uh, Captain America: Civil War, in what I think is just a really inspired decision, because to the degree that this might be one of the riskier uh, titles of the new ones coming out, in that it's, yeah, you know, it's taking place in Wakanda, and it's, you know, the, the degree to which this is going to be not, you know, it's downtown New York City again, and there's a man selling hot dogs that Spider-Man or the X-Men or the Fantastic Four or you know, etc. Cetera, etc., cetera, have saved. And then there's Nick Fury in New York, too. Like this is gonna be really, really different. Um so you know, the fact that we will already know him ahead of time, it's it's a brilliant choice.
1: Well, the uh the foundation for that is gonna come from Avengers Age of Ultron. They're really going to set the stage for this. And then with Captain America Civil War. Essentially being described as Avengers two and a half before Black Panther, you know, they're, they're teeing it up. And I think they're teeing it up in the best way possible so that, OK, here will come this superhero with seemingly, um, you know, lesser appeal. It's going to be a hit, Matt. The degree to which it'll be a hit, we'll have to wait and see. It's going to be a
0: hit. I know that every every I feel like maybe three or four years when there's a high profile um, movie either with uh, black director, black lead, etc. the the same story gets written, which is like, wow, it did twenty five million dollars at the box office. That's surprising, and like I've read that story like three or four times over the years, where it's like, who knew that that this movie would get so much support. It's like, well, whatever the movie is, it's, it's well-cast, well-made, uh, et cetera. I think that this is, I think the Black Panther is going to repeat the Guardians of the Galaxy um, surprise for a lot of people because I think, frankly, there's going to be certain sections, certain sectors out there where they're going to say, oh, well, this is the Marvel movie with the black guy. And how much support is that going to get? you know what, look, these are all people who dress up in their underwear and run around and fight aliens and laser beams and stuff. There's a certain degree to which all these characters are largely kind of colorblind. Um, and that's not to take away the fact that, you know, Marvel can and, and is, you know, it's good that they are doing more uh, for for non-white male characters. But I don't think people are going to sit home at this just because, you know, the guy, the guy comes from a fake African country, you know, the character. I think... It, it's as you know this will be as rich as any of the other movies in that you have a good time where it's good guys fighting bad guys and it's and it's interesting um you know there's interesting shades of gray in there and so forth definitely moving on pete after that in in an interesting kind of choice there moving from black panther straight to captain marvel i believe those two movies are back to back i don't want to i hope i don't have an error here um no, I take that back. After Black Panther will be uh, Avengers Infinity War Part 1, which we'll get to in a moment. We'll kind of lump the two together. Um, so my point being, my clarified point being, they're kind of, some of these newer properties, they're doing in between the larger properties. Quote-unquote larger. Or they're more familiar ones. It's probably fairer. Captain America, then Doctor Strange, then Guardians of the Galaxy. So if there's a little bit of a financial hit, okay, you you power on through. If there's just, if you need something to help put the, I mean, look, Pete, predict right now what the Captain America Civil War secret scene will be. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's Doctor Strange. Right. Um, uh, after Thor Ragnarok, it's going to be more Black Panther probably, etc., etc. Cetera, et cetera.
1: I mean, I think there's so much going on, Matt. It's going to be difficult to do that this far out, other than knowing that one moves into the next. And, you know, then you get a situation where the Captain America... Uh, Winter Soldier 1 referenced the Avengers so they could move, move you know, two movies even further ahead. Um, you know, it's it's just tremendous to see a plan stretch this far backwards and this far ahead.
0: Well, speaking of ahead, what is next on the list? What comes out? Uh, there's Black Panther. Then there's a, a Avengers Infinity War Part 1 that we'll talk about in a moment with Part 2. What comes out after that?
1: Well, bowing all the way July 6th of 2018 (laughs) is uh, Captain Marvel. And this um, raised a lot of eyebrows because who would figure this would be the first female superhero in the Marvel Universe to get her own standalone film? Matt, we all thought it would be The Black Widow.
0: Here's the argument against Black Widow. She's a great character, she's interesting, she kicks butt with with, you know, all the all the boys, etc. There's a certain reason that we go to these movies though beyond, you know, the action. It's to see these no pun intended marvelous things. To see flying people and, you know, shooting light bolts out of their hands and and so forth. And A Black Widow movie would have been basically like a James Bond movie, which is great if you're James Bond, but the fact that Captain Marvel can do things like, you know, fly and super strength and things like that, I think that's why it bent that way, because it's just a little bit of a more remarkable character, and you can can have, you know, oh, here's the great scene where, I don't know, the giant hail rocks are coming, and she does some superpower move to protect the kids, you know, like... That, to me, is a little bit more compelling than kind of the fists up punch him punch-em-in-the-gut motif of Black Widow.
1: There were two noticeable absences from this slate that people were looking for. A Black Widow movie, a Hulk movie. And I think Marvel is very shrewd with both of them. You've essentially used Black Widow enough to know... Her and to know enough about the character that you don't need to go to a standalone origin movie. Plus, Matt, more on her origin is coming. With Hulk and the two films that have been done to this point and the, and the limited success that they've had, you know, say what you want about the Ang Lee one that was not connected to this universe, say what you want about the Ed Norton one, which was the second entry into this current um you know skein of marvel cinematic films they're going to go back to him um just not yet and and really their universe is is widening is expanding to the point that when they do they're going to have much more to include in there so if you do a planet hulk or whatever you're going to do it'll make sense so you know what bring in captain marvel let's get a brand new film it's funny that you know the the word we were hearing in the background was that Marvel doesn't want to do origin movies anymore, despite the, ha- the fact of having Doctor Strange, Black Panther, Captain Marvel, and the Inhumans on this slate. You know, they're going to introduce them. Are they going to be done in the true origin film way? Probably not, you know, given that we're going to know quite a bit about Black Panther, not to the extent that we know about Black Widow when he comes on, you know, who's to say that captain Marvel isn't going to show up a whole lot sooner, Matt.
0: Well, I would, while I wouldn't rule that out, I think that it,
1: well, don't cause I'm hitting at it very heavily.
0: <laughs> I think that there's, I think that it would be such a poor choice on Marvel's end. Let's say through the end of this decade, we'll see where things are. At. We'll see where you know where we're at in, in uh, August, 2019 when we're previewing phase phases, four five and six. Um, but, Marvel can't forget that the success, and I know Marvel has not forgotten, uh, that the success of, let's say, Avengers is because they did so many movies ahead of time to earn that. Um, The fact that they're introducing Ant-Man and Doctor Strange and Black Panther and Captain Marvel and Inhumans says to me they are very interested not only in kind of the dollar and cents argument, which is out there, that for Avengers what avengers 4 you know the one after infinity war part 2 if you will um but whatever that is that they'll be able to stop paying robert downey jr and stop paying you know uh, chris hemsworth that they'll be able to move some of these people out through either maybe you kill off tony stark and then you, don Cheadle takes over the suit or, or some of those things yes i think there's that hope but i think they also just know you got to keep this fresh and the fact that they're doing three movies a year that's only going to be upheld if they are, if, you know, if it's a variety of characters. I know that there's the hope that maybe Inhumans could then become its own series of series, you know. And I don't, I know so little about the Inhuman characters, but I'll just use X Men as a as as an analogy. I think the hope is you do the X Men movie, and then you could do the Magneto story and the Wolverine story and so on and so forth. I think that's what they're looking for with Inhumans. But Pete, just to return it to to Captain Marvel for a second. Um, it is, as I'm sure many people know, it is the Carol Danvers uh, uh, version of Captain Marvel. And Pete, I'm sending you a link uh, right now, and our, our listeners can check it out to the Wikipedia entry for Carol Danvers. I think now is the right time to do a Captain Marvel uh, movie, and I'll tell you why. At the top of that Wikipedia article is a picture from Ms. Marvel, number one, which is a, a title that Carol Danvers uh, held in the past. Uh, this is from 2006 she's in like essentially a swimsuit boots gloves you know her her upper top there looks like two torpedoes strapped to her her thighs look like they could be of those of horses you scroll down to the to the Captain Marvel Carol Danvers character that there is now which uh, started in Captain Marvel number one in 2012 and look obviously she's a pretty lady all these characters male and female are you know specimens of their gender but it's like a full costume there's no skin showing there's it looks more like a you know superhero uniform now i think marvel is, marvel gets it now that they have a character in captain marvel that 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 male and female characters really dig that female readers are really excited about that they look at at the current captain marvel carol danvers and go all right, that's like the superhero uniform. Like I could, you know, I could see wearing that if I could pull it off. And then you look at like Ms. Marvel of a decade ago and it's like I said, it's it's a swimsuit with boots and, and you know, and, and gloves. So I think that there's a certain degree of of respect that the character now has that Marvel Films understands that you could turn this into a character that can be respected and and enjoyed and not kind of there as... I don't know. Well, I mean, you think back to the the Wonder Woman uh, TV show controversy where they had to change the costume because it was too you know a little too uh shall we say feminine. Mm-hmm. So now is the time, says I.
1: I think you're right. And you know, for her to be the first entry as a standalone um to carry a film uh makes the most sense.
0: Pete, from that we go from the human Carol Danvers to the Inhumans, the uh, race of superhero uh, superhumans um, that has been uh, around for quite some time in the Marvel uh, Comics universe. Another uh, kind of daring, another daring uh, uh, attempt at a film, wouldn't you say?
1: Yes, and I think spaced far enough from Guardians of the Galaxy uh, Two, uh, a year and a half earlier. Um, that it can pick up with that world and be its own thing. Um, Kevin Feige loves this series, so it wasn't a question of if, it was a question of when. And the connection to the next film probably isn't a mistake.
0: And uh, indeed, Pete, what is the next film? At least it'll be be wrapping up. It'll be the second part of that film being...
1: Avengers Infinity War Part 2.
0: So, as I think we all expect, uh Avengers Infinity War that's going to be Thanos with the Infinity Gauntlet versus the uh, universe of MCU stars. See what I did there? Stars and universe. Um
1: and that'll be when the Guardians uh join up.
0: You you you, you anticipated my next question. The thought of how big that movie could be, both in its cast, both in terms of multiple you know, franchises coming together, the Guardians, and the Avengers and whatnot. How about this, Pete? Any chance that there'll be some Marvel TV characters making an appearance?
1: I think it's entirely uh, possible, if not plausible. I mean, look, Matt, from November 3rd, 2017, with Black Panther, from then on... To you know, the end of this announced slate in May of 2019, you do not have um, a terrestrially set at least from the outset uh, Marvel movie. You know, Infinity War denotes that we're going to be going to other places other than Earth. Captain Marvel, the Inhumans, so we've got to ground this. In reality, we've got to in some way tether this back to the world that we know. And I think that the Marvel TV shows will be an excellent way of doing that.
0: I know that on the cover of uh, uh, the Infinity War, I believe it, it I think it has the, the uh, but on, on that comic book, uh, Daredevil is one of the characters mentioned there. So of course, you know, the agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. are, are closest to our hearts, but I could, I could see if nothing else in some sort of, um, uh, you know, montage of the fighting going on at at various different locations, you cut to, you know, daredevil backed up by Coulson as they fight such and such and go somewhere else. And, you know, you see sky blasting her gun and iron fist, you you know, helping her out that kind of thing. Just again, it's some sort of really fun montage to really bring everything, uh, everything together. So
1: it's all connected.
0: It is all connected. Pete, any final thoughts about any of these movies? Here's your last opportunity to say anything about any of these movies until uh, 2020.
1: Spoiler, Pete doesn't want to say too much.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, it is it is just amazing to look at, to look at this slate. Um, I like that for a number of the years, they're going either May, November or May, July, November. Um, and it's either early May then like second half of July for the most part. I remember sitting in theaters for the first Iron Man movie and loving it. And then I feel like it was, you know, six, seven, eight weeks later going to see Hulk and being like, that's not as good as the last movie I saw from these people. So sometimes you just need, the, I mean, in fact it is not as good, but I think it's, it's to the benefit of most of this schedule that there's a little bit of space in between the dates to just kind of let it breathe. Um, I mean, it was a ton of fun. Thor, couple months off captain america a couple months off guardians of the galaxy and so forth so we shall see all right pete with that let's open up the mailbag we have uh, a bunch of uh, a bunch of messages to get through here we will start with uh, a message from mark amargo our pal and he has a theory may's husband was killed during her cavalry charge in the bahrain mission uh he notes that she said i was married once." May states during her interrogation uh, by Eric, uh, Agent Eric Koenig in Providence, um, and then he just goes on to say, you know, to, to make this prediction that um, that she lost her husband as part of this mission and that his, it has scarred her so greatly. Are we ever going to find out, Pete?
1: Well, we did get a scene with uh, Mockingbird last week where she asked May had she been married, and then there was a look. Yeah. Um I don't think that her husband uh, bit it um, in that encounter. I think it was something, you know, not that that's a bad idea, but I think it was something a little bit more complex. I think it's something that leaves him alive. And as, I mean, listen, there's few things May comes up. There's nothing to this point that she's come up against that she can't handle. Um, to see uh, her and to allow Mignog when, uh, a foil in her ex, a la Lance Hunter and um, you know Bobby Morse. I think that
0: could be a lot of fun. So I think you keep that on the table. Fun, fun, fun. Pete. Next up, we have an email from Alindra, and uh, she says, "Hey guys, I just found your podcast and caught up on got caught up in all the episodes. Love pretty much all of it. Um, and then she goes, she had sent this a, a little while ago. Goes on to um, just reinforce." The uh, that old hashtag, it's all connected with the fact that there was the blue man, you know, we're, that we're all connecting to be a Kree, um, nice. and then uh, the uh, the main villain Ronin in Guardians of the Galaxy. So just just loving the podcast and also reinforcing that idea that uh, we got some Cree behind us, we got some Kree ahead of us.
1: Uh, we got a bunch of uh, credibility. Nice.
0: Next an email from. Tom Sinclair, and this was sent uh, before the season started. He said, I'm whiling away the time before season two of S.H.I.E.L.D., uh, listening to various podcasts that covered the show during the first season. It's a mixed bag so far, but I'm really impressed with the intelligent commentary from you both. Uh, you not only understand character and story beats, but also display good knowledge of the movie and TV business uh recapping the mcu was a great idea and i thoroughly enjoyed hearing your take on the films and placing them into a broader perspective so kind words there from tom thank you very much tom we know just a little bit about film and tv sometime i'll tell the i'll I'll tell the tale that uh i think never has been told about how i met martin sheehan (laughs) Uh, i kid of course because dear listeners pete is probably sick of hearing that story uh, pete here is an email from our pal mike sorenson um he says uh this is uh, in reference to some guardians of the galaxy stuff pete talked about the, cr- the post-credits scene not being used as a promo bump for upcoming projects there's a problem with that there is at this point no connective material to bring back to the earthbound heroes look at the past stingers that were done iron man 2 connected to thor by way of colson Thor connected to Avengers by way of Loki and the Tesseract. Captain America just flat out used a scene from Avengers in, I'll turn off Mike's words for a moment, in probably the weakest post credit scene that there was. Don't play an, an ad. At least do something, you know. Um, Mike goes on to say Thor 2 connected to Guardians by way of the cosmic entities uh, of the Asgardians, but there are a bunch that did nothing. Thor 2's end scene with Thor returning to Jane, the shawarma scene in Avengers, the Stark banner scene in iron man 3 um and there's one that just might tick people off in iron man the nick fury scene was not a teaser of things to come it was not originally intended as a preview of anything it was just a tip of a tip of the hat to fans that's all marvel had taken a huge risk uh, in making iron man in 2008 and uh, of course as mike points out didn't know the outcome so pete you kind of your thoughts there for the whole use of that that, that post credit scene, we've talked, you know, oh, we can reasonably predict it's going to be, you know, uh, Ant-Man's going to feed into Captain America, Captain America 3 right. will feed into – what do you think of Mike's point there? That sometimes they just exist for the sake of existing. It's certainly valid when you look at
1: everything that they've done, but when you look backwards and, you know, planning – to do films as opposed to actually doing films. And then back as far as Iron Man, you know, it wasn't a plan to lead into Avengers. It just, you know, it, it gathered momentum. Why not use the opportunity to gather further momentum? And I guess what he's saying too, that, you know, it, it's hard to connect what happens at the end of guardians of the galaxy to Avengers or even to, um, Ant-Man, but you have a treasure trove like the collector's gallery there. You you believe for one second there's not something that could reference either of those two uh, stories? I find a hard time. Um, I have a hard time believing that there isn't.
0: I I tend to come down on Mike's side a little bit more just because I think it has to be this kind of pure story first kind of thing. And I think that the people, the the director and the writers of these individual movies are so focused on making the best standalone movie that they can. I can understand where there's not going to be, it's not going to be on the director's plate to be like, all right, well we have to find the thing that can go to the next thing. And yes, there are people who are, you know Kevin Feige among them who who could think about it but it's just like you know what if if at the end of captain america's civil war where there's been this big this you know big break between our two heroes and so on and so forth and all this drama uh, as to um you know the 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 people that we've seen so far with kind of defined powers you know captain america had medicine to make him like the best human he could be um, you know, Tony Stark built stuff to make him fly. Th- these are kind of um definable powers, albeit in the comic book sci-fi kind of realm. If that doesn't springboard itself to like a magician that protects us against magical threats, don't don't push it. Let it just be Steve Rogers out on a date with Agent 13, you know, like let it be that. To me, Thor too was made better by him returning and giving Jane a smooch than it would have been to be like, oh, here here's here's one more scene, because it's it it's gonna be an Ultron thing, you know, like if it's not there, it's not there, says I.
1: I just think the the Howard the Duck one was a spiking of the football. And um you know we, we can disagree on this and I can still be right.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well I say the Howard the Duck one was like on your birthday your mom taking out a picture of when you were eight and you're missing teeth and you have a bad haircut and it's like, wow, look how far you've come. Because to, for, for for Guardians to come out, I 20, 28 years, I think it was, to the day after Howard the Duck came out, wow, how far Marvel films have come. Um, but I guess we just agree to disagree. Pete, next, an email from uh, Henry Perno, our pal Henry. Uh, he says, I wish to have a eulogy fitz's mind read on the podcast (laughs) (laughs) and here it goes here's the eulogy for fitz's mind oh serious serious voice rest easy mind of leo fitz we only got to know you for one season but your creation saved the life of director fury and upgraded the night night gun to icer like all good minds you went down too soon rest easy knowing you did much your thoughts peter you are you wiping away a tear
1: it was beautiful um (laughs) matt it's just a matter of time until the mystical device or you know formula or whatever it is restores him this is not a permanent thing for agent fitz it's drama
0: i think he and i mean to be fair just so people are clear henry you know sent that email closer closer to the premiere than now so um i think the fact that he has been making this march back uh fitz not henry although henry you're doing great as well buddy <laughs> um but the fact that i mean fitz has grown so much in six episodes yeah i think it's going to be oh agent no agent uh episode 12 he's like wow i i guess i'm good at playing chess again and by the end of the season it'll be like oh remember when i used to forget things that was weird um, but as you say, that's that's the the curve of TV. Pete, another email from Jamie. She says, "And the the team, formerly known as Agents of Shield, is back. I'm digging the new darker tone and ragtag crew. This first episode had a bit of Firefly and Battlestar Galactica vibe to me, which is why uh, which could be why I'm feeling so hopeful for what's to come." Jamie goes on to say, "My heart was breaking for Fitz, though. Not that I want the show to take an easy way out." But I mean, if Coulson can come back from the dead and Mike Peterson can get a magic leg, I have to imagine it's only time before Fitz finds some 084 type cure, right? Uh, so we'll, we'll pause her email there. Pete, is it going to be magic or is it going to be progressive? Well,
1: Matt, you know, some of our characters come from a world where uh, they call it magic, but we call it science. And uh, Fitz works in the scientific end of that so it's merely a matter of
0: perspective wow that was an excellent job in both saying a lot and nothing (laughs) moving on back to jamie (laughs) jamie wraps up by saying uh i already can't wait for the next episode and also pretty happy you guys are back too oh thank you so it's great to have you back jamie uh pete another email here from uh, henry he says uh dear matt and pete i at fan of shield Want to put forth the official FOS theory of Simmons brainwashing? They Hydra did it to Bucky, so they're probably brainwashing scientists now, stealing their discoveries. Now again, Henry sent this uh, sent this back in September, but can we rule it out? Can we ever rule it out until the Hydras you know smited off the Earth, smitten off the Earth?
1: No, I I don't think you can. Um, You know, we have since put forth the theory and are sticking behind it that it is Bobby Morse who is the double, nay, triple agent here. Um, So, how many, you know, multiple agents could you be harboring under the same roof? It's pretty hard to do that. And it really muddles the story. But you know, to go back to Fitz and now to Simmons, um Matt, who knew a scant thirteen fourteen months ago that you know these characters other than Colson would be so beloved by now
0: yeah it's a it's an excellent it's an excellent observation, and Pete, what would break our hearts only more? Is if and remind me what's the uh, you Hydra people when you when you activate somebody who's been brainwashed? What's the little spiel that she does? You you people? What the
1: hell you mean? You people? You Are Hydra you re-
0: people? <laughs>
1: you referring to uh, compliance?
0: Yeah. What's that? What's the beginning of
1: that? Uh, compliance will be rewarded.
0: Right. So here's what I want you to imagine. There's a scene where it's like it's like a bunch of our heroes from from Shield. Maybe not all of them, but among them simmons and mockingbird and some other people and back she's like oh man you got me cornered except for one thing compliance will be rewarded blah 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 and with that simmons and mockingbird click on as you know baddies and you go no this is awful and then cut to a close-up of guns firing boom boom cut to black see you after uh agent carter in like three months
1: well, let's remember, you know, where we went for the hiatus last year with the bridge, believing that, um, you know Peterson was dead, um, you know you got up the Annie this year, don't you?
0: Yes, so. The next email is from Erica Collins. She says, "Greetings, fantastic geek. I'm greatly enjoying tuning into your podcast again this season. Hope that you two are now fully recovered. Props for delivering after the premiere. Oh, yes, of course, referring to how sick we both were. Um, uh, the sophomore season of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is rocking and keeping me on the edge of my seat. I wanted to throw a uh, quick couple of thoughts your way. Do you think Colson, excuse me, Director Colson, is giving Sky the creepy material in hopes of triggering a latent alien reaction in Sky? Pete, I put the question to you from Erica.
1: No, of course not.
0: That would be kind of cool, though. You see, Pete, maybe there'll be a scene where Bakshi is backed against the corner and then he says something in an alien language and Coulson and Skye both suddenly click into, like, alien beings. And then you see the close-up of a gun. And, and yeah.
1: Or, Matt, we, we merge them both. He says compliance will be rewarded and then he uses the Kree tongue and they fight it out against Drop. one another and he walks away.
0: Wow. While Hydra brainwashed wow that that is that is a scary thought there pete that really is with that shall we uh carry on here yep okay um erica has another question for you when will the heart of the show return that pete you probably are thinking well of course she means ward right no she says i miss lola more than i miss ward so pete when does lola return
1: um, Lola is not in the next episode, but I know they've done some work around it. So I want to stay in eight or nine.
0: Wow. Pete, another uh, email here from Henry as we kind of start the uh, start the last stretch here in the mailbag. Uh, will the revelation uh, Simmons is undercover in Hydra? Uh, sorry, with the revelation. Do you think she'll take a page from Armin Zola and create a shield within Hydra? Now, obviously, she has since uh, she since run out there. But Pete, I have to say, I, I, I read that because it's a really awesome theory that I think that we could. Uh, I, I, I like I like the intent there, and I'd like to see something like that in the future.
1: I like flipping the script. Um, I think it
0: it's a little cheeky, though. The little cheeky monkey. Yeah. Um. Oh, by the way, did. He asks, "Did Simmons being targeted by Hunter put you on the edge?" Heck yes, I'll answer for that. Um, scary stuff.
1: Simmons being targeted by Hunter.
0: Yeah, there was the episode where she's still undercover and Hunter has the gun on her and he's about to fire. Oh, uh,
1: yeah. all right, I um, I gotcha.
0: You see, Pete, I too keep many, many notes. <laughs> Next, Pete, a, a an well, email. It's,
1: it's tough because you know we're we're
0: six episodes oh. in, and you know, just yeah, the nature of the nature of clearing out the mailbag. We we certainly appreciate everybody who has uh, who has written in. Pete, next up is an email from the ever thoughtful Amanda Joyce. She says because Pete brought up that pseudo Simmons has her hair up. While undercover Simmons has her hair down, I wanted to point out the emotional context for pseudo-Simmons. The costuming and makeup for her is head-to-toe her attire from episode 106, which is, aside from the season one finale, the most emotional episode for the Fitz-Simmons friendship. I would imagine that look was chosen to show us the emotional impact Simmons uh, not being there has on Fitz uh, in another more subtle way. So Pete, I'll pause her words there. Awesome, awesome observation that it's yeah. from a specific episode. Yes. Uh, that so,
1: is the uh, the episode, is it not?
0: Uh, I prefer to call it F period Z period Z period T period. Um, but yeah, I'll go with Fizzed. Amanda continues, I really enjoyed hearing you guys debate just what Ward's intentions were with ejecting the pod from the bus last season, since it's something most of the internet has been debating the entire hiatus. Ward might have believed the pod would float, as a lot of Ward fans want to believe, uh, but I think he would have accepted it if it wouldn't at that point as well. Whether he cared about Fitz and Simmons or not, the point was really that he cared about Garrett more daddy issues says i back to amanda uh his loyalty to garrett is all consuming so fitz and simmons would be uh, collateral damage to him at that point i think so many people don't want to see the darkness and board just because they love love brett dalton so much or hydra brett's really fun to watch with the darkness though and i'm all for getting him to run the villain route for a while though i'm sure there's a redemption arc coming sooner rather than later Thanks, as always, for a fantastic podcast. Love listening to you guys. And, of course, from the ever-effervescent Amanda Joyce. Thank you. Uh, and she uh, she's always so great with such uh, such thoughtful thoughts there. Um, with that, Pete, super home stretch here, the last email in front of me. Uh, we return, I believe, where we started uh, from Mark Amargo. He says, did you guys catch how Marvel announced Avengers Infinity, ward, uh, Infinity Wars? I'm trying to say Ward. He's taking over my brain. Um, and it is, of course, that clip that uh, that uh, I'm sure many people have seen on YouTube uh, where it's uh, Thanos with the Infinity Gauntlet there, Pete. So all the more confirmation that uh, that's where the Infinity Wars are headed. Mm-hmm. With that Pete, we have finally cleared out cleared out the old mailbag. Uh, thank you to everybody who wrote in. Um, just I think because of the nature of the show being on at the later time slot now, we don't get to read those as often as we'd like. But we did want to uh, want to have everybody's thoughts shared, and we'll uh, we'll open up that mailbag again soon to uh, to see what the people have to say. Thanks for writing in, Pete. Speaking of the people, they love you so much on Twitter. How can they hear more from you?
1: Well. 4,449 followers can't be wrong. You can find me on Twitter at Peter, P I E T E R J K E T E
0: L A A R. While I am personally on Twitter as looking back loss, you can get in touch with the podcast at our gmail.com and the other thing, the Twitter, of course, uh, which is Fantastic Geek. That's fantastic with the PH. With that, Pete. I will say adios to all our listeners and uh, look ahead. I can't wait till next week when uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. will return again. Uh, But for right now, you get the final word. It's going to be a great five years.